Apologies. Oofta. Oh my gosh. You're listening to Ajis, potentially the last episode of Ajis. I refuse to believe it. A Fargo recap podcast from Minnesota Public Radio. You're not giving in yet, Jay? No, absolutely not. I believe we will be back once again to provide an authentic Minnesota perspective on a show named after a city in North Dakota. All right. Fingers crossed. I'm Tracy Mumford. I am a producer with Minnesota Public Radio News. I'm Jay Gabler from The Current, and I wrote my notes for this episode out in longhand in a notebook in honor of Gloria Burrell. Yeah, how very a Gloria of you. Okay, so let's get into episode 10 of Fargo, final one in season three. Gloria's preference for entering information manually is introduced right at the beginning of the episode when we see her typewriting her letter of resignation. That's right. She may have been taught to use a computer, but she is still not interested. She's going to hand type out that resignation letter. And leaves it on new boss's desk, but she's going to go back and grab it shortly because she gets a call from Mr. Dollard. LaRue Dollard. So he is our IRS friend who has gone like full crazy room on this. Uh, By that I mean, you know, in movies and TV when someone like has a theory and they cover their apartment with papers and they start like drawing red lines between things and, you know, they're just like in it. Yes, that's where LaRue Dollard is when we see him at IRS headquarters. He has taken over an entire conference room sorting through the papers that have been left him about the Stussy Lots finances. A little like the uh, UFO theorizing from season two. And I think one of the hidden stars of this season of Fargo is whoever does the location scouting because I have been loving the locations they found to shoot this season in including this amazing huge windowless conference room that LaRue Dollard is using to try to figure out what went on with the finances of Stussy Lots Limited. Yeah, so buried in all the papers that he has gone through and poured over and highlighted and organized is a note from Gloria. He thinks it's a note from Gloria. It has Gloria's number on it. It would be logical to assume that it's from Gloria. But when he calls her... She's very surprised to hear from him. And she gets his call after she's already packed up her desk. She's got a little plant in her box. She's ready to go. But she takes this one last phone call. And really, we could have or should have guessed that it wasn't actually from Gloria because it was printed with a computer. Yeah, Gloria has never uh, met a spreadsheet in her life, I guarantee you. She definitely didn't uh, print out these things. But um, she is fascinated to hear from LaRue Dollard, who starts dropping some very familiar names like Emmett Stussy and VM Varga. And she's like, you know what? I'm back in. She grabs her letter of resignation and she heads over to talk to LaRue Dollard. Meanwhile, poor Emmett now sprung from jail, is back at his home in Eden Prairie, signing a tall stack of sheets of paper that turn out to be just blank. Oh, I did not pick up on that. I thought he was signing away all the assets of Stussy Lots Limited. I think he's just given up and he is signing sheets of paper and letting Varga print on them whatever he wants. Well, I mean, there is Mimo sitting right there with a gun and Varga behind him. An entire uh, fire team, as Varga describes them, spread around the house outside patrolling. They are on high alert uh, for any signs of Nikki and Wrench at this point. And I just want to reinforce how different this scene at the Eden Prairie house is than from when we first saw it. When we first saw it, it was crowded. It was Emmett's anniversary. He was on the stairs with his wife. They were telling that like kind of creepy, cute anecdote about having the same address. Everyone was there. And now he's like there with all these people with guns. Like Things have changed a lot in about three and a half months. And Emmett is just so tired. And Varga says, yes, yes, yes. It's just like in the wild when the smaller animal goes limp in the jaws of the large. 
At some level, food just knows it's food. Mimo, like we mentioned, is sitting there with a gun, and Emmett starts to get an idea at this point. Yeah. So as Varga takes a call from Nikki and arranges the rendezvous to pick up the drives and drop off supposedly the $2 million, Emmett grabs Mimo's gun and says, I'm not food. Poor Emmett. This is the moment that he takes a stand. He's like, I'm done. I was like, now you're done? After all of this, out of all the things that they did to Sai and all of that, this was your moment? But fine. So he takes a stand, but uh, Emmett is just not that bright. And Varga is able to use his uh, mind tricks on Emmett. And as his fire team closes in, he makes him second guess the fact that he has a gun because maybe it's a super high tech gun that would only fire if you had the right fingerprint. Because that totally, that's definitely what's happening here, Emmett. And then Emmett gets breath sprayed in the face and then I think golf clubbed in the back of the head was what that looked like. Uh, no, no, it's a poker. Oh, gets, the fireplace poker. hit with the fireplace poker in Classic. the back of the head. I think I will never have a fireplace poker, even if I have a fireplace, because somebody always gets hit with it, right? I've never seen a like unused fireplace poker when you see one. Um, we also got a brief glimpse of Mr. Wrench and Nikki plotting in the hotel room during this kind of opening jump around. Um, and they've got their full inventory spread out on the bread. I think... There were some sticks of dynamite in there, a bunch of guns. Like, clearly they're plotting this big showdown with Varga and Mimo. Yep. And Nikki is assigning a playing card to each, uh, in her head, to each of the weapons so that she can keep track of the weapons as though she's keeping track of a bridge game. So if you bothered to learn all the rules of bridge in anticipation of the season, you sort of got a little payoff here. No, I was ready for some more bridge, but at least the theme does recur. Okay, so now Nikki is going to meet Varga and his goon squad at this rendezvous. And this was hard to believe that Varga so unquestioningly walked into the most suspicious situation ever. I mean, they send a guy in first, though, who says, like, it's clear. Like, they do a little a little reconnaissance, not much, but they also are thinking, ah, oh, we're competing with two people and we're, like, 40. So... I can see where that cockiness came in from, but someone mentioned on Twitter, and I haven't had a chance to confirm this, that this whole like King Midas storage scene, this industrial area, is a callback to the movie Fargo. So Fargo fans, get out your uh, your remotes with the freeze frame buttons, because there may be a callback here. Yeah. I also liked the uh, little bait and switch where you hear the ominous drumming on the soundtrack, and then you see that actually is coming from a bucket drummer just hanging out there in St. Cloud, maybe getting ready for a performance at uh, the streets of downtown St. Cloud later on. For sure. And they let this uh, little boy lead them into the storage building. I'm just going to come out full nerd here. And the lighting in these scenes was incredible. When they get in that elevator, which like, I don't know why you'd get an elevator, but okay, surely there were some stairs somewhere. Um, The flickering light of the elevator and the music starting to go, and then they get out on the floor and there's just that like long fluorescent kind of flickering. I mean, it was super tense, but I was definitely just in awe at the lighting. If this is actually a storage facility existing somewhere in the Calgary area, again, a location scout, when she or he found this, must have been just like, yep, this is it. This is the storage facility where Vargas goons are going to get gunned down by Mr. Wrench, which is, of course, what happens. Right. They um they find a little note that says, leave the money. The drives are in Unit 209. Um, and so they're starting to fall back when Varga gets a text from an unknown caller. We don't know who um, that says IRS has the drives 
get out. And so he basically throws his team under the bus, starts pressing the down button. And even as Mimo is running towards him, trying to get in the elevator, Varga does not stop for anyone. Meanwhile, the door of a storage unit right across from the elevator is starting to come up and just we don't see the massacre. We just get the perspective from inside the elevator of the screams and the gunfire. And you can imagine what's happening in the King Midas storage facility. Yeah. A couple scenes later, we will see Mimo getting rolled out. Mimo, who is heard in the scene telling Varga, this is a bad idea. Varga is in the elevator. He realizes this has gone horribly wrong. Uh, the gunfire was a clue there. Uh, and the and, screaming. And the screaming. Um, and we know that Nikki Swango is waiting for him on the first floor with a shotgun. He manages to weasel out of this elevator. I never thought of him as like a nimble, dexterous person. But when the doors open, it's just his trench coat laying on the floor. And he is gone. But Nikki pretty much has what she wants. The goons are gone. Uh, she now has two million dollars they actually brought the money (laughs) which surprised me i guess i vargo was at this point ready to concede all right we're gonna legitimately make this trade uh but she only keeps a little bit of it she gives the rest to mr wren she says that's not what she really wants right all she wants is emmett she takes yeah like a few wads of cash uh, Mr. Wrench kind of looks at the money too, like, what do I do with this? Like, th- they're not in it for the money in this show. And so Nikki heads out to track down Emmett. But so here's the question Who sent Varga the text? It's got to be the widow Goldfarb, right? Oh, well, you know, the Widow Goldfarb or some other member of Varga's vast network. We know he's in with Crooked Cops, and Dollard seems to think that he has some connections in Washington. It could be anyone. Mm, my money's on the widow because the next thing we see is Emmett going to the Stussy Lots offices, which are being redecorated for the best um, redo name of realignment. Thank you for that literal moment. Um, and the widow Goldfarb has clearly been in cahoots with Varga this whole time, uh, which is something we suspected. And then the reveal of it was a little anticlimactic for me. She was just like, yeah, <laughs> of course. What, what do you what do you expect? Just a fire door that leads to another fire, says Emmett, who we did see waking up. One of the questions was, is that stamp ever going to get licked? It was. Someone licked it and probably Varga stuck it on Emmett's head. So he wakes up finding the stamp on his head, discards the stamp. At this point, it's not about the stamp and heads to his office where, where? he encounters the little gold. Yeah, no longer his office. Um she explains like, hey, you've now got a debt load of $300 million. You need to file bankruptcy, but don't worry. You're going to be fine. We hid your personal profits, which is basically what LaRue is explaining to Gloria back at the IRS. He's describing this technique of corporations. Um, it's called a bleed out, which I think is extremely appropriate for Fargo. There's a lot of bleed outs of many kinds on Fargo. Um, it's about uh, basically you buy a company, you use it to you know, raise a bunch of capital, then you sell it off at debt in a bankruptcy, but you've hidden all the profits, which is exactly what happened here with Stussy Lots Limited. Right. And so he explains that there's a legal way to do this, probably unethical still, but a legal way if you pay your taxes on all the profits that you make. But in this case, the money has been shipped overseas and we're left even at the end of the episode, not knowing whether Emmett ever got any of that money. I suspect he did. Oh, yeah. They're not subtle about that. <laughs> okay. But, um, we go back to the King Midas storage unit where Gloria and Winnie, our detective dream team, are surveying all of the, the damage and the chaos and Mimo's definitively dead body, R.I.P. Mimo. Um, and they check the surveillance camera, which, like, 
You planned this for months and you didn't turn off the surveillance camera? Like, do you just not care? Come on, people. It's the little details. So they get pictures of Nikki and Varga having been present. Um, Gloria, again, pieces it together and realizes she needs to warn Emmett because Nikki is on the loose with a gun. And shout out to Winnie. This is the last we see of Winnie Lopez. Great character this season. Doesn't really get much of a send off. It's true. We don't know if she ever had that baby. Oh, we don't. We don't. I have questions. I suspect they gave up trying. I feel like if you ran into Winnie at a bar, she would tell you everything. Moscow mule and uh, make it ornery. Emmett is um, fleeing the wreckage of his finances and his everything he's built. His house is empty. His business is no longer his. Um, he's driving his car in the middle of nowhere, and he has uh, a little car trouble and also predictably no service on his cell phone. For me, this was like the Chekhov moment of the season because in the very first episode, Gloria says something like, oh, you can never get service out here on these roads. And the minute she said that, we were like, okay, there's going to become a dramatic moment where the lack of service will play a key role. And that was this. So Emmett is stranded in the middle of the road when a truck starts to pull up behind him. Destroys his phone in frustration, which is also, I felt like, sort of the culmination of this whole season's criticism of technology. We finally get to see Emmett just angrily destroying his smartphone. That's right. So um, the person in the truck is not exactly there to help. It is, in fact, Nikki Swango. Uh, Emmett tries to talk her out of shooting him. She's got her shotgun out. She's ready. She's thought about this for a long time. And he's trying to explain it. You know, I didn't mean for these people to die. And she's like, oh, you, you didn't oh, mean you for didn't? them oh, to? Oh, okay, oh all right. Okay, yeah, okay, no. Yeah. No, not so much. Emmett had discounted Nikki Swango from the very beginning of the season. He was like, why is my brother dating this deadbeat? Get her out. Like, I don't even want her in the house. Um, and he's paying it for it here because she is the crafty one who has come to avenge Ray. Um, you should never underestimate the women of Fargo. So she informs Emmett before she pulls the trigger that Ray's a kitten now. She looked into his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Love and, Fargo. And uh, delivers her biblical message as left for her by Ray Wise. Though thy exalt thyself like an eagle. She's like working her way through it right as a state trooper pulls up. Minnesota's hottest state trooper. <laughs> this is such a good go. looking cop. Personal opinion, personal opinion. Um, the trooper pulls up and Nikki tries to kind of fast talk her way out of this one. She says, um, oh, it's a long story, but we all go home at the end. And I was like, uh, no, that is the opposite of Fargo. It is a short story and almost no one goes home. And the trooper isn't really buying it. Emmett is, like, trying to say, like, hey, you know, obviously there's something here. Look at her. Look at her. Look at her. And the trooper thinks that Emmett's the one pulling the shady stuff. But he says, no, she's got a gun. She grabs the gun and Emmett ducks. So the shots cross and both Nikki and the state trooper fall. Which I could not believe. I was freaking out at this point. I so wanted Nikki Swango to drive off into the sunset. I wanted her to take first place in next year's Wildcat Regionals at Bridge. I had so many hopes for Nikki Swango. I definitely tweeted at Noah Hawley last night, like, how could you? And surprise, surprise, he has not responded. But Noah Hawley, how could you? This whole episode was unsatisfying on a lot of levels, and that was that was definitely one of them. This is how uh, Nikki checks out. At least she gets a surging rendition of the Fargo theme as we slowly Pan zoom back to see yeah that she has a she has a bullet hole in her head. I feel like this was their way of trying to convince us that the Nikki and Ray love story was real. Yes. Like they're going out together. There's some way they they are now cats together. She was always the cat. Yes. Um 
I don't quite buy it, but I think that's what they were trying to do as like this was a couple that was destined to be together because I had a lot of doubts about their relationship. Um, And I think they're trying to tell us here like, no, it was love to the death here. Great. Awesome. Or as Gloria puts it when she arrives at this bloody scene. Okay, then. I know she's seen a lot this season. So after they get shot, so Emmett spends a minute like surveying their bodies, realizing that he's like completely missed this. He gets back in his car and drives away. Why is his car working now? Yeah, that was some... So you figured that was some kind of trick that Nikki pulled to get his car to die in the middle of nowhere. Right, like she has a kill switch? Or like, is this an actual thing that you can do? You know, my car used to do this thing where like it would kill and then you had to wait for it. I, I used to think it was flooded, but it was like kind of a battery issue. I don't know. So... I have observed this kind of behavior in the wild. But he's like, gets right back in the car and it starts right up and he doesn't seem surprised at all. He's like, oh, yep, okay, now I drive away. And I was, I don't know. That felt like a loose end for me. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you're going to have presumably like dash cam video from the state trooper, right? Is there no evidence? Or did he not like call in the license plate, right? How How is it that Emmett evades any kind of responsibility for this? Yeah, I just, they, they, it felt sloppy, but... Then we see Gloria, uh, lights flashing, tearing down after a uh, school bus going down an empty road. How many times does a school bus driver get pulled over? I, I don't know. I mean, I guess she had to go fast because she had popsicles in the car and she didn't want them to melt. Yeah, and just needed to uh, make sure Nathan was safe after amidst all this carnage. So, yeah, she pulls Nathan out of the school bus and the two of them have a little popsicle at the edge of the road. Gloria has a, they have a little heart to heart about his grandfather not really my grandmother. Hey, listen, he was a person. Anyway. Um, and the takeaway is sometimes the world doesn't make a lot of sense. So you should just eat a popsicle. Stick together. Okay, mom. <laughs> Will do. So Emmett having escaped this near death experience, um flees to his wife's house um and he's at Stella's knees begging for forgiveness we assume and and she seems to accept it yeah which is kind of i thought i saw this as the answer to what nikki was saying to him she's like all right you're you really like at your lowest point now there's no one left who loves you you know she kind of suggests that like his wife has left him his kids have left him he has completely been abandoned but it looks like stella is going to take him back so we flash forward five years this is the second flashback of the or flash forward of the season um Emmett has turned his life around. He's crawled his way back into his family's hearts. Um, He's reconciled. The uh, titles that come over it suggest that there's an additional missing $20 million that he may or may not have. Obviously, he has it. Um, We know a lot about his his greed at this point. Um, And Cy has even made a slight recovery. This was this was great. I am really glad that like amidst all the like threads that were left loose in this episode, I'm glad we got back to Sai. And I there was a I loved his his final line where Emma kind of claps him on the shoulder. How you doing, old friend? And Sai still partially immobilized from his uh, his tea party, just kind of manages to mumble out, "Good as new." At this point, Emmett offers to go get the salad from the fridge, which. Uh, anyone not from Minnesota, you should know that Jello is salad. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was thinking this that uh, some of our listeners who are are not familiar with uh, Minnesota cuisine might have seen Emmett opening that fridge and said, "Wait a second, where is the salad?" No, no, that chocolatey, glutinous mass is the salad. That is the salad. I thought it was a fruit flavor, but either way, the Jello is salad. Uh, and 
Emmett's not going to chance to to eat that salad. He's he's no. not going to have the opportunity. And we do there there is a lingering shot on the fridge door before he opens it, and we see a bunch of family photos, including a really nice photo of Emmett and Sai. You know who's not on the fridge? Ray. Ray? Oh, no, ouch. Ray. Yeah. Uh, but we learn Mr. Wrench has been waiting this whole time, and he gets his revenge a bullet in the back of the head for Emmett while he has the fridge open, which is a callback to how Emmett died in the first, which is a callback to how Ennis died in the first episode. He died in front of his open freezer. Um, So I don't know what's going on there, but Mr. Wrench has been waiting. You get the sense that there was no reason he had to kill Emmett. Like he really just kills Emmett for Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to push real hard right now. Noah Holly, I know you're listening. Season four, just Mr. Wrench. Get him a new buddy. I would watch that. Get him anybody. I would. You could get him a dog, and I would watch that season because this is the second partner that he's lost, and I love him so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great character, and, and as you know, this is a season of Fargo where you want to keep as much distance as possible from any kind of cooling appliance. That's true. Although really in season two, hanging out in a freezer didn't bring any good things then either. Right. The cold is deadly on yep. Fargo. Yep, absolutely. Artificial so, or not. We've wrapped up Emmett's storyline and uh now we're back for Gloria Burgle. She uh she ended up resigning eventually, we learn, because now she works for the Department of Homeland Security. She's got a way better haircut and she's got people who trust her and like have some you know, confidence in her, which is a nice change. I was disappointed that we didn't get to see Sheriff Mo Damick get put in his place. I really thought we were going to get more Damick, and we didn't. But that's okay. We flash forward. Gloria's got a new hair, new do, new job. Yeah, although Mo Damick might be about to walk through the door at the end of the episode. Well, anyone could have walked anyone through the door. Anyone could have walked through the door, through. but we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, yeah, uh, Daniel Rand has been pulled in for questioning. And by Daniel Rand, I mean VM Varga. Right. And uh, Gloria's like, you don't remember me? I couldn't tell if he was faking it or if he does things like we saw this season like every six months. I really don't know. He returns to a line that a lot of people liked when he first delivered it. Surmise. It's true. Also, how does he have any teeth left? Because they were already, like, down for the count when we saw him, and it's been five years. I assume he has not gotten any newer hygiene habits. So shouldn't there have been a few more teeth missing when you see him? But no, he's still, he's in his trench coat. He's still composed. It's like nothing has happened. Um, apparently, he's, he's claiming that he sells accounting software in Brussels now, which, sure, sure, sure Daniel Rand. Yep, exactly. So Gloria is sure, all right, now we, we've got you, right? We've got these six murders that you have in some way like helped arrange or been an accomplice to, millions of dollars laundered. She's like, you're going down. And he falls back on all the same old philosophizing of the truth is unpredictable. You know, the truth can be demanded this way. And it's just not working this time. Gloria's like, look, I know you. I know what you did. You're yeah. going to go away. For a long time. And before we get to the very end of this conversation, they catch up a little bit on old times. She fills him in on the fact that Emmett has now been murdered. And Varga's explanation for this, of course, is peasants. And that serial killer. Remember, that serial killer really had things against Stussy. Maybe yep. there's a new one. Yeah, Varga's absolutely sticking to uh, his story about the serial killer who hates Stussy's, who we presume is still incarcerated, the supposed serial killer. And Gloria explains to Varga that he is going to Rikers Island and she is going to the state fair with Nathan. And as soon as she brings this up, I'm like, 
don't talk to Varga about your family. Don't bring up your son to this man. I don't care because it was an opportunity for more of the world to learn about the Minnesota State Fair. She says, uh, you know, that you can guess a pig's weight and eat a deep fried Snicker bar. For the record, I have done both of those things at the Minnesota State Fair. It's amazing. Just to call out to listeners, maybe we could have an Aussies meetup at the fair because she's speaking the truth right now. That is true. Deep fried candy bar is my one must-have food at the fair every year. So here's what here's what Varga explains. He says, no, you're wrong that I'm going to Rikers Island. You're wrong that I'm going to be prosecuted. What's going to happen is in five minutes, that door is going to open and a man, notice he says man because Varga is sexist as all get out. A man you can't argue with is going to walk through that door and set me free and I'm going to just disappear once again. So she stares at the clock. The piano plays. The piano plays Beethoven's Sonata Number no. 23, the Appassionata, which we heard Varga hanging out listening to on the floor of his trailer. And five minutes go by, and Varga's chair is empty. So, aliens? Am I right? Or maybe the man did come in and take him. That's also possible. You know, I just I just don't know. Jay's not buying any of this. What's your theory? I think you're right. I think someone did walk through the door. Aliens? That Varga did disappear. I think his, uh, his higher-up connections set him free. Because I think it was telling that he went silent. When Varga is nervous and is trying to get out of a situation, he talks and talks and talks and talks and talks. And he says to Gloria, listen, we need to stop wasting breath. It's already determined what's going to happen. Let's just shut up. And that's when it's time to be scared of VM Varga. Which we never learned what VM stands for. We never did learn but what VM stands for. Thanks to Twitter, I have a couple ideas. Voicemail? Uh, uh, voice possible. Um, vanishing man. Uh, villainous manipulator. Very mean. These are options. There are options out there for VM Varga. Any of those could work. <laughs> Tweet me maybe, your other options. Maybe it's Victor Michael. Also possible. Yeah, and we are left wondering whether, as we alluded to at the beginning of this episode, whether there will be any more Fargo. We are not sure whether someone walked through that door, and we don't know whether Noah Hawley is going to walk through that door with a fourth season. It's true. So he has said that um, it's not canceled or anything like that, but he just... He's not going to do another season until he has another idea, and he doesn't have an idea yet. Um, he also has lots of other projects like going on, like Legion and stuff like that. He also like wrote a best-selling book last year because, of course, he did. He's got a music career. Yeah, right? He can sing. He can dance, I'm assuming. Um, but anyway, so we don't know if there's a fourth season, which means we don't know if there's another season of Ah Geez. Keep following us on Twitter. We will let you know as soon as we uh, get any information. Tell us what we should be talking about and watching, since we won't be watching Fargo. Maybe we could just go literally watch the city, Fargo, and then... There you go. We'll just live stream it. Yeah. I mean, something's bound to happen. Some kind of massacre or shady dealing or I don't know. All right. Well, so now that the third season has wrapped, we should talk about it. How did you feel like this season went overall? I liked a lot of things about it. But then there were a lot of things that I didn't like, and it felt like it got kind of sloppy towards the end. I mean, I didn't really like it until the last three episodes. Oh, really? I was sort of like on the fence. Like, I didn't really care about Emmett or Ray. They were just like a little too much Lester Nygaard for me on repeat. Uh, Varga philosophizing got real old for me. Like, I just feel like ep- the last three episodes really 
picked up the game and got back to like the fun plotting chase tense detective moments that I've really liked from the previous seasons. So I was kind of on the fence and then like the last few sort of tipped me over. Yeah, I agree about Vargas monologues and all of the monologues, the Ray Wise monologues. It's like, I think this is a show that people love to listen to because it's so well written. Noah Hawley and his the writers he works with have such amazing ears for dialogue and really picked up on that aspect of the Coen Brothers work that so many people love. But this season, it felt like a lot of long, boring monologues instead of short, pithy, memorable lines. And I tuned out. And I just didn't care enough about enough of the characters. Like, obviously, if you've been listening to this, you know I'm all in on Nikki and Wrench, and I'm pretty into Winnie and Gloria. But they, we spent a lot of time with people that I just didn't really care about. Yeah. I, you know, you and McGregor, I thought was good. In both roles, but I never quite thought the whole conceit paid off the way you hoped it would. It feels like it existed for the purposes of the bank storyline and the sex tape. Like, you had to have an identical actor. So it's like the plot dictated the casting, more so than, like, the talent or the payoff of it. I don't know. Basically, season two is perfect in my mind and you can't touch it. And season three was, like, fun to watch. Yeah, I I would agree. Season two is by far and away my favorite. And then I would put season three above season one, which I know is controversial because a lot of people really love season one. But for me personally, I just found that relentless, almost invulnerable Billy Bob killer character to be so boring. Yeah. And he just like drove that season. Who's worse then, Varga or Malvo? I'm going to say batter dude, Malvo. Right, Malvo, he's the devil. Yeah, yeah. Is, uh, yeah literally the devil. Um, but worst character, also Malvo. Malvo? He's, he's, he's just evil incarnate, right? What's yeah. interesting about that? Whereas I, I really, what I liked most about Varga was the idea that here is a character who gets what he wants, not by force, but by wits, by obfuscation, by confusion. And I liked the idea early on that you felt like this was really a very like small operation, that it was just him and Mimo and Yuri, and the three of them drove around in their tractor and just sort of got stuff done. And that their idea was, their MO was, the less impact you make, the more effective you are because the less trouble you cause for yourself. And the more his operations seem to grow and grow and grow, and it turns out now he's got, you know, he's working with a crooked cop. Maybe he has connections in Washington. Now he's got, you know, the widow Goldfarb is working with him. The more traditional his crime empire got, the less interesting I thought it got. I think that's right. Yeah, the the more he was allowed to talk and explain and plot and like pull in more resources, the less I was interested in him. I was super interested when he just shows up out of nowhere and it's like, oh, that wasn't alone. Right. I own you now. Yeah. I was like, oh, whoa. And then I was sort of like, by the end, like, yeah, Russia. Okay, I get it. Truth. Yeah. Not predictable. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea that, like, at the beginning, that he felt a little vulnerable as a villain. You felt like he needed to use his powers of persuasion to get Emmett to do what he wanted at some level, right? He couldn't just, you know, carte blanche force Emmett to do whatever he wanted Emmett to do. He needed to use this kind of like gradual leverage. You come in with the loan, then you kind of like convince him to do one shady thing, then another shady thing. And it's kind of like, a you know, the kind of scams that people pull in real life. I mean, maybe people do pull vast conspiracy scams, such as Vargas ultimately, you know, portrayed as pulling off in real life. But a little bit less interesting from a TV perspective. All right. So from best to least satisfying seasons of Fargo, you would go two, three, one. Yeah. All right. I definitely two's in my top. 
But yeah, it is a tough call between one and three. They're so similar. And I think maybe that's part of what I didn't love about three is that I felt like I'd seen parts of it before. I did like that Gloria's character, and we've talked about this before in the podcast. I like that how Gloria's character is portrayed as having this kind of tumultuous home life. Maybe not tumultuous, but not necessarily picture perfect, right? You know, she's had this relationship that has not gone the way that she wanted to, but there's still love there. You know, and there's this, you know, she's now a single mom. She's had this, you know, personal um, suffering when her stepfather dies. So I liked that she wasn't coming from a totally untroubled place. Yeah. I just think Fargo is better in the past. And if they do it again, go back in the past. And like the farther, the better, right? This like 2010 commenting on technology and Facebook, like skip it, could do without it, didn't improve the season for me at all. Back into the past. How far into the past? That's up to you, Noah Holly. But go back. I think I want the Psy origin story. Oh, Psy. Yeah, <laughs> Which I, I know would be super Psy. boring, but that's fine. I'll just have a season with no murder or mayhem. Just Psy quietly building his little model parking lot. A lot of sweaters. A lot, of, a lot sweaters. of sweaters. Yeah, I would watch that season. Well, that was the end of Fargo. This is the end of Aji's for now. For now. For now, unless there's another season. It's been great talking with all of you on Twitter and email, uh, and we love hearing from you. Thank you for listening. Thanks to all of our guests who have come in over the last season. It's been great to hear more behind-the-scenes stuff about Fargo. Yeah, and certainly the life of Fargo will go on. Whether or not there are more seasons, there will be, the actors will do other things, Noah Hawley will do other things, and we'll definitely keep posted, and we'll let you know as soon as we hear any news about a possible new season of Fargo or any other relevant projects. Odd Jeez is produced by me, Tracy Mumford, Jay Gabler, and Anna Reed. Our theme music, as always, is by The Valdons. And thank you so much to The Valdons and Secret Stash Records for letting us use this as our theme music. Of course, we're thinking of The Valdons and the Secret Stash family as we remember Sunny Night. Okay, then. Bye now. <laughs>